Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Okay, welcome everybody to this episode of the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and this session is going to be preventing post-traumatic stress disorder through compassionate care with Dr. Diane Minaj and Dr. Jenny Patterson. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the in the happy position of being the curator of the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals and these hours, which has been a delight. We really, as, as many of you will know, we were running face-to-face festivals and obviously with COVID happening, we had to think about ways in which we could provide some continuing professional development for midwives and student midwives and doulas and all the people that love to watch and, and participate in our festivals. And so people get their CPD and keep refreshed. And we were thinking about the people who are in practice looking after mums and babies. And we were thinking about the people who have uh, had to stay at home or shielding or who are unwell. And, and we really wanted to have something available for everybody. Um, these sessions are supported by Matflix. And this is video streaming from maternity experts. And again, it's for CPD and revalidation. So if you do your revalidation, this is where you want to go. Uh, I've had recently done that myself and it was very useful. And, and very useful for students. If you've got, if you're a student, you've got a project to do. There's loads and loads of material to access. And um, now, as I said, I'm delighted this this week to be joined by two fantastic speakers, and they are a real joy to have with us. And it's Dr. Diane Minaj, lecturer in midwifery at De Montfort University in Leicester, and Dr. Jenny Patterson, who is uh, a midwife and research fellow at the Edinburgh Napier University and I just thought we usually start with a little moment of the week and this can be quite light-hearted sometimes it's something significant or exciting or just something that's warmed your heart so take your pick who might be first Diane do you have a moment of the week to share um, well, my garden is um, is very important to me at the moment, and I think a lot of people are finding that, and um, it's just looking so pretty at the moment. I did a little posy. I don't know whether you can see it. Oh. <laughs> very nice. um, from things at the garden. So, yeah, that's giving me a lot of joy and warming my heart at the moment. Wonderful. Perfect after Chelsea Flower Show last week. <laughs> Thank you. How about Jenny? Oh, well, I'm as a research fellow, I'm not doing hands on delivering babies, but I am. I do have an allotment and I do create many, many baby plants from seeds. And my highlight was yesterday going or the day before going and planting out 130 beetroot plants. Wow. Because far too many seeds took and grew and I couldn't waste them. So they're all over my allotment now. <laughs> well, we know where to come for a beetroot then, Jenny. Well, if they all grow. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I have to warn participants that that means there are three of us here who are very keen on allotments and growing things. Very good for mental health, 
very good for getting out in the fresh air. So that's fantastic. That's a really good to start for us. And and before we start the session, and I know people are going to be very interested in what what Diane and Jenny have to say, um, I just want to, as I often do, record Maternity Forum solidarity and thanks to all of the people who are caring for and supporting people who have or have had COVID and also who are looking after mothers and babies at the moment. It's much more complicated now with all the restrictions that are, are on us to keep everyone safe. Also, our thoughts are with the people who've lost their lives and their families and friends at this time. It's very sad and very difficult for a lot of people and I think it's important to remember that. So a moment for that. Okay. And I, there's, I'm not, I'm daring not to bring any political news into the forum, into the hour. Um, so I'm just highlighting there's some really good images and infographics for women and families that are, are via the Royal College of Midwives website. Um, really nicely visual, very useful for midwives, for student midwives and women and their families. And there's also um, a guidance and risk assessment, equality essentials, which is like a wrap, one of their wraparound papers. Really accessible, very useful for busy practitioners instead of having hordes of papers to, to go through. And also just a little bit of light hearted um, information. For fans of Radio 4's Desert Island Discs, Professor Dame Elizabeth Aninonwu will be on the show this Sunday and I'm sure some participants will remember her doing a presentation. We had her a couple of times at the forums um, and she is a fantastic speaker so I, I think it'll be a really good um, episode of um, Desert Island Discs because of, she wrote her fantastic autobiography Mixed Blessings which was at, and she was actually riveting to listen to. So I, that's my little bits of news. Now, in this program, we're going to be looking at uh, really overall the effect of COVID-19 on maternity services, the context of what we'll be talking about today, looking at the whole issue of compassion, which is now really in the center of what we're looking at, which is fantastic for women and families, but also for midwives, incredibly important. Because at this time, I think we really do need to be thinking about how it feels to be in other people's shoes. And the compassionate approach really gives us that. And I I'm, I'm really am delighted that I have two such fantastic speakers who have made this a really special part of their lives. And usually we have one speaker, then the second speaker, but for this um, session we've got a very special double act and they're going to work together and I think they'll explain very clearly when they start talking about their research why they're actually presenting in this way and I think they are very special special midwives and special researchers actually and I'm very privileged that they're with us today um, and so first of all I'll say I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Diane Menage. She's a midwife, a mother, a grandmother, I don't believe the grandmother bit, academic and feminist with a lifelong interest in women's health and well-being. Throughout her career, her focus has been on providing safe and effective care through relationships. 
She's worked clinically in hospital settings, community midwifery and independent practice. And she's completed her PhD thesis on women's lived experience of compassionate midwifery at Coventry University in 2018. She's currently a lecturer in midwifery at De Montfort University in Leicester in the UK, where she's involved in, in embedding compassion and self-compassion into the undergrad midwifery curriculum. She's also a beekeeper, which is very, I think that's also quite special. And then also beside her is our lovely Dr. Jenny Patterson, who's a midwife and research fellow at Edinburgh Napier University. She was a clinical statistician. I didn't know that before today. <laughs> And then after having four boys, she came into the maternity services, first as a doula and then as a midwife, and has worked independently and in the NHS. And she's always had a long-standing interest in psychological well-being of both midwives, mid women and midwives. And so that's really informed her research as well. And particularly looking at post-traumatic stress disorder as a PhD. She also provides consultancy and advice and also lectures on both trauma management and on managing stress and trauma for women, again, and midwives. And she's also published very widely. She's also an allotment here. <laughs> so I'm very happy that you're both with us and I'm going to hand over now to both of you for your presentation. And I'm thanking you in advance because I'm very excited to listen to you. Well, thank you very much for that. Amazing introduction, Sue. Um, I can speak on behalf of Diana and myself. We're both delighted to have this opportunity to, to take part in this hour. Um, so as we go through, you'll understand, as Sue said, why we're presenting this together. Ultimately, Diana and I didn't meet each other until halfway through our PhD work. And Diane was already researching women's experiences of compassionate midwifery care. And I was researching care provider interaction in, in the context of women developing PTSD after childbirth. And when we met and talked, not only did we discover we had lots in common as midwives and allotmenteers, but we discovered that as we were going through our work, the in how women perceive their interaction with midwives or their other care providers is absolutely central to their experience. In other words, how we are with each other really does matter. It's not the icing on the cake. It's not an optional extra. It's absolutely fundamental to the experience. So Diane ultimately was looking at identifying that compassionate interactions can alleviate suffering. Whereas I identified that poor interactions can contribute to trauma and PTSD. So we came from different sides, but there's an overlap here, which is why we want to talk together. So what is compassion? I think Sue was saying that, you know, we talk about it such a lot now, it seems central to what we do. And perhaps some of the um, newly qualified midwives and student midwives who are listening might not know, but if you were to try to find the word compassion in a midwifery textbook or journal or guideline, uh, that's say longer than 10 years ago, you, you wouldn't find it. It's not a word that would ever have been used. You would really struggle 
to find that word mentioned. And that seems impossible to believe now because it's one of the six C's and, you know, it's mentioned all the time. But what actually is it? When you study it, when you try to really get hold of what it is, it's quite nebulous. Um, the moment you start to try to define it, it becomes problematic and starts to melt away. And many, many people have studied it. The nature of compassion, what is it? How can you define it? Well, various people have had a really good go at defining it. Paul Gilbert has described it as a deep awareness of the suffering of oneself and other living things, coupled with the wish and the effort to relieve it. By the way, if you haven't read Paul Gilbert's book, The Compassionate Mind, I absolutely recommend it. It's a fabulous book. Paul Gilbert's a professor of psychology who's done a huge body of work and research on compassion, and particularly in healthcare. So a couple of things that are interesting um, about that is that he talks about suffering um, and he talks about that it's to do with oneself and others. It's not just others, it's oneself as well. Um, so let's just look at the, the, the suffering, the word suffering first. Um, we've got a problem here. We honestly have got a problem here because although over the last eight, 10 years, we've gone overboard really in a way, we've really um, embraced the word compassion. We have not embraced the word suffering in midwifery. And as I think I've already shown you with that definition, it's really impossible to talk about compassion without talking about suffering. But for many reasons, we're not keen on that word in midwifery. And perhaps I'd like you to just reflect for a moment on why that might be. It's different in nursing. It's a word that's used much more commonly in nursing. We don't tend to like it in midwifery. We tend to like to put, you know, it's about positivity and, you know, we were, we're uncomfortable with it. And yet, we've all suffered. Everybody that is a human being has suffered. We have all lost somebody, something that we dearly loved. We've all at times felt completely overwhelmed, felt useless, been bitterly disappointed in ourselves or somebody else, had moments when we felt we couldn't cope at all, had a broken heart, We've all, perhaps occasionally, or many of us, have been extremely frightened. So suffering is not something that we don't know about. It's part of the human condition. And to be human is to sometimes suffer. And we could talk about levels of suffering and degrees of suffering. That's not really the point. The point is that all human beings will have times in their life when they do suffer in, in some shape or form. And interestingly, for the women in my study, they told me about their suffering. And what they told me about the compassionate midwives that looked after them was that when a midwife was compassionate, it helped to reduce their fear and help them feel more able to cope. So by far the most common form of suffering for the women participants that I interviewed was fear. You might think it was going to be pain, and sometimes it was pain, but 
much more common was fear, blind fear. And what they said was when they received compassionate midwifery, that increased their trust, reduced their fear, they felt safer and they felt more able to cope. So it was a very powerful intervention. And my goodness, if it was something you could write a prescription for, we'd certainly be writing lots of prescriptions for that. Well, as you heard, Diane mentioned fear, and fear is one of the core features of trauma and PTSD. And many women experience um, childbirth is traumatic. Almost 40 to 50% of women can find the process traumatic. And we know that uh, around 4% will go on to develop full post-traumatic stress disorder with many more having partial symptoms. And that is actually the fathers and the mothers can experience this. And many midwives and other health professionals go on to develop post-traumatic stress or full PTSD. And what I discovered was that that, that care that Diane was talking about, that compassionate care, that need to be supported through this often traumatic or fearful experience, when that was not there, when there was an unmet desire for support, this was a significant factor in the development of PTSD, being ignored, just not having the support. And I came across a term called sanctuary trauma. And for me, this sums up, this was written in 1986. And this sums up for me, the women, when they're coming in, they're looking to expect that support, that care, that um, the compassion, that's what they want. That might not be the word they use, but that's what they're looking for. When it doesn't happen or they're treated with harshness or indifference, this, is a t this creates trauma and it's called sanctuary trauma. And so when I, in my study, I was speaking to women who had developed full post-traumatic stress disorder and to some other midwives, um, not midwives with PTSD, but midwives who are caring for women for a long time in intrapartum care, which is the, one of the key areas for the trauma, um, and asking about their experiences of being with each other. And human needs came up so clearly throughout everything, almost to the point where my supervisor was saying, that's too basic, you can't just talk about human needs, but it was fundamental in what they were saying. And it was a lack of response to human needs that was the traumatic aspect for both the women and the midwives. If their human needs weren't met, they were unable to really give the care they wanted to. And the other key thing that came up was relationship. And we, most of us will be aware of the midwife-mother relationship, the, all the work that's been done around this, but this was coming up in everything both the women and midwives were talking about. And when trauma occurred, it, related, it was related to either a dysfunctional, lost or absent relationship. Either there was no connection between the woman and the midwife, or it was quite broken, and I'll talk about that later, or it was lost. It had been there and then it was taken away. And these were key trauma moments. And I summed this up with the expression shattered expectations. And we hear quite a lot about women having maybe unrealistic expectations of birth. Oh, it's going to be like this, or I'll just have some candles and I'll blow my baby out and I won't need you know, anything. That's not what the women, the women I spoke to knew that childbirth was hard. They knew it would be possibly you know, difficult, uh, painful. They knew they might lose their dignity. They might have to do things they'd rather not do. Um, they understood that. But the shattered expectation was about the fact that they walked into a place thinking, good, here I am, I'm now going to be taken care of, I can place myself safely in the hands of these people, 
and then realized that they couldn't, that they couldn't rely on it, they didn't feel safe and they couldn't trust. And for the midwives, we know, you know, people enter midwifery with great passion, great vision about what they're going to do as midwives and how they're going to be there for women. And that can be really broken as well. So that's our overarching sort of findings that, you know, that over underpinned everything. But let's just take a little bit of a closer look at some of the things we found. So for me, one of the key things that came up was about being abandoned. Women felt ignored. They felt left alone in rooms for hours on end, sometimes particularly through inductions, and just didn't know what was going and didn't know who was there for them. Sometimes they didn't feel seen or heard. Nobody was listening to them as an individual. They didn't, they just were a number going through the process. They often felt threatened or unsafe. Um, and that threat can be it, 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 something as, as, as simple as not being told what a medicine is, and just being told to take it and get on with it, or being told to move or else you're gonna hurt your baby if you don't do something. We've heard that one. Um, to somebody actually describing having the Entenot's mask forcibly held on her face because the midwife wanted her to stop making noise. So we've got some real threatening things. And that's a power struggle. That's about the, the power differential of somebody trying to control somebody else. And there was lots of that. But these women did also talk about positive experiences. And amongst this, they were able to tell the difference. It wasn't just that they were predisposed to seeing everything poorly. They knew when something had been amazing and they often cried as they told me about amazing midwives who'd come in and cared for them in, in the compassionate way that Diane was describing. And then the midwives, they talked about abandoning. So this abandoning, that having to leave the room, go away, be with somebody else, the baby's born, placenta's out, off you go, we need you in another room, we'll get somebody to come in and help this woman, give her her tea and toast. That was so devastating for both the women and the midwives. It was part of that whole process of the relationship and the, the journey together. The pressures that were on the midwives, feeling torn between one thing and the other, between not being able to be there for women and having to be there to deal with the system. Often not feeling respected as autonomous individuals not being heard perhaps themselves in what they were saying they felt the women needed or what they wanted to do to support the women. And sometimes midwives just chose to withdraw. It became too much. And then one way of breaking relationship is just to cut yourself off, to become quite minimal and just to keep yourself safe. And obviously that was very damaging for both sets of people. While this event is free on Facebook Live, on demand afterwards and as a podcast, it's not free to produce. You can support the Maternity and Midwifery Hour on Patreon now. You can sign up as a loyal supporter for as little as £3 a month or a little more to get content early and receive bonus content. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash midwiferyhour and give what you can afford. Your support is greatly appreciated. So for the findings of my research, um, I was able to depict it in a model. This is the model of compassionate midwifery in balance, and I'll try and describe it briefly.
So you'll see there's a sphere and it's balanced on a balanced beam and the midwife's there balancing it. So if we look at the sphere, there's three main components, which are the real elements, if you like, the key themes of what compassion was to the women that I interviewed. So I was asking them, what was compassionate? What did the midwife say or do? Why did you think that was compassionate? I wanted to get to the real bones of it, to really understand what exactly they thought compassion from a midwife was. So let's look at those three um, key themes. So being with me, um, that's that authentic presence, that being heard and being seen that Jenny talked about. That's big overlap with Jenny's work there. Um, interestingly, the women I talked to, they could recognize a midwife that was able to do that within about three seconds. It, it's unbelievable how quickly they could recognize that. And the more frightened they were or the more they were suffering, the more they were looking for a midwife that could do that. The more they were on high alert to see if the midwife was going to truly be with them and to listen to them. Uh, listening was a, a very important part of this. So the next part of it is relationship. Again, exactly overlaps Jenny's work. Very, very um, key to compassion. And that was that takes a little bit longer than a, than a few seconds. Obviously, continuity really helps that one. But midwives um, that they talked about were very, very good at creating re relationships very quickly. And that needing to be known and understood by another. And the midwife perhaps sharing something of herself, the woman sharing something of herself, and that kind of human connection, knowing each other. And then empowering. And I didn't really expect to see this um, in, in compassion, but it was very much a key feature of compassion. Again, it overlaps with Jenny's work, that feeling the women that she interviewed felt disempowered. The women that I interviewed had had compassionate care and they felt empowered. And there was a very particular way, a very particular approach, which meant that they felt empowered, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. But here, next we have the balance beam. As you can see, that sphere is precariously balanced on that sort of platform of chaos. That platform of chaos represents the context in which we work as midwives, the conflicting demands, etc., of the workplace. And there's the midwife at the bottom, and she's precariously balancing all of this. I think you can see, I think it's called a fulcrum, that, that balance point. I think you can see from this that it's a very fine margin of error before that compassion falls away and I think we've all been there we've all felt that precarious balancing act and felt it actually fall away when things have um, been very difficult um, and there's been lots of conflicting demands and we perhaps have been unable to be as compassionate as we wanted to be we are only human too and there's the midwife at the bottom we are only human too, and it's a two-way thing. So just to, to summarize that in a sense um, from our findings, so our key themes very clearly overlapped. As you've heard from both of us, these three areas were very strong within both our sets of research. And when we met at this conference and then started to chat about some of the first things we were finding, and then when we'd actually finished our work, we shared, we read each other's theses 
and we realized just it was so exciting to see just how the overlap happened even though we'd come from completely different perspectives and just to summarize there that being with being seen heard understood being respected and affirmed and empowered being able to trust and feeling safe key things in that area and this is what women need and as midwives we need this as well and then the relationship sorry before i move on i've just highlighted those words in red and each of those words in red are the key aspects that are considered when we start developing trauma-informed care packages these are the areas that are of primary importance and then in the the relationship interestingly the midwives um, told me that for them this was one of the most important things they wanted to do as midwives they they came into the job to listen to women to be with them to build a relationship um, and the women spoke about this as very key for them but then that balancing that Diana's spoken about and that being torn in two which I picked up on ticking boxes this was an actual expression that the midwives said oh I just feel like I'm ticking boxes the women said She's always filling in her forms. She had her back to me filling in forms. These are the things that really damage and make it very difficult to build relationship and ultimately time. It's, a, it's been written about so much. Um, and then the, the key thing of power, that being threatened, which I've mentioned. And this was, you know, there was a moment when I was listening back to one of the interviews when I had to stop and cry because I couldn't believe that a woman in labor had been treated in the way she had and and i don't believe that it was just horrible malicious midwives we're going to talk you know a little bit more about this it's not just about nasty midwives and that whole thing about being abandoned that's a real power differential to know to be in need and to not be provided for and uh the dis so the disempowerment so that's a real loss interestingly women talked about uh, midwives talked about um abandoning women midwife uh, sorry women claimed power sometimes by actually just self-discharging that's how they claimed their power they left the hospital as early as postnatal as they could um and then i think diane can tell you a little bit more about the empowered so yeah, I was um, I was I wanted to tell you a little bit more about this because um, the women that I interviewed told me a, gave me a lot of detail about how midwives made them feel more empowered and and how they saw that as compassionate. Um, so I was fascinated by this and and what they said was that they wanted professional midwifery knowledge. They wanted um, to be told, to be taught, to be coached. For example, um, one area that was a particularly frightening time for some women was the immediate postnatal um, period. So immediately after they'd had the baby, maybe um, the midwife had gone out of the room or they'd gone just gone to the ward and they uh, felt like, one woman said, I felt like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, they felt very frightened, very, disempowered in that environment suddenly hit them they'd been through this thing and now they were ill-prepared to take on this role and to look after this baby and suddenly fear hit some women 
um, quite dramatically at that point. And they wanted to help from midwives, they wanted their professional knowledge, but they wanted it in a particular way. And it was about a power differential. They wanted midwives to tell them these things, to help them, to coach them, to teach them as in the style of a friend. So not in a superior style, not as one that knows better, not preachy, as one of them said, but just as a normal human being telling them. And when they did this, they could really hear it, really learn from it, and it felt compassionate because it empowered them. Now that's interesting as an educator because we can teach midwives this. Sorry, Diane, would you want to say something more there? No, I was just, I was just saying that's really fascinating when you're, to, because you, you can learn this, you can do, anybody can develop that, that we know all the stuff we've got to say to women. And, you know, as educators, we teach midwives, well, you'll need to be saying this, giving her that information, giving the other, but it's the way that it's said that will make all the difference. So, Actually, Diane's covered this next bit really well because we all know about the difference between social models and midwifery, medical models, and the conflicting ideologies that is that this is the theory that's coming through from what we're both discovering. And I came across two aspects, uh, two ideologies of care uh, that exist within midwifery theory. The vigil of care, which is the top-down monitoring. I'm in charge, I'm looking after you, you do as I tell you. It's quite disaffirming, it treats the person more as an object than a person, and that's at one extreme. And then on the other side, the care is gift, which is what Diane's just spoken about, that really engaging with the person. And care is gift. It, you're still providing care, you're still looking after the person, but you are doing this with trust, with generosity, with love. It's all part of the process, so that compassionate side. So, Again, these two theories tied in really closely. And as Diane just said, this is not what we're doing that's important, it's how we do it. So let's, let's cut to the chase. Okay, we found amazingly and quite unexpectedly that our findings really overlapped and we'd seem to have come to something from different angles from different perspectives um, but let's what we found was that you know what we'd got the two different research projects said something really important and we've sort of got a hypothesis and I've tried to illustrate it here with this um, graph if you like and so on the on the y-axis um, we've got that women's perceptions of their experience and down the bottom there on the x-axis we've got um, compassion um, from midwives or care providers. And you can see that as the one goes up, the other seems to go up. This is what we think was happening. And the women in Jenny's study, they seem to be, we now can see in retrospect, they seem to be from this area here. They had very negative and traumatic perceptions of their experience, and they'd had low compassion um, or no compassion. And then the women in my study, they were right up here. They had more positive and empowering experiences of birth. It's not that they'd had no suffering, they had, but they still had um, positive perceptions of their birth. And they'd had, you know, by definition, they'd identified themselves of having, having had compassion from midwives. But 
you know, that is all well and good. That looks very, very simple, a kind of cause and effect type of thing. But we know it's not that. We know it's much more complex than just this. So it's not just about, well, this is easy. Midwives need to be more compassionate. You know, we don't want you to think we're saying that because we're really not. It, we know this is a complex picture. So just to come back to this expression about being human, because it isn't about we're going to talk now about some of the human needs of the women and the midwives and how we might address that. But one of the final, in fact, the final sentence that one woman in my study said as she finished her interview was, I don't know, there's something wrong in a system that doesn't allow you to be human. And for me, that encompasses everything we're talking about. So there are challenges for midwives. It's not about midwives being discompassionate. We are facing a, a wealth of things. And two years ago, the RCM brought out the, the WELM report. If, if any of you have read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you've not, then I suggest you find it and read it. But it really did highlight just the, the physical, social, emotional challenges that midwives are facing. Lack of breaks, lack of being able to get to the toilet, have food, drink, basic human needs not being met. And obviously, currently, we have this whole pandemic situation on top of this. So we've already got a system that's very difficult for midwives, a whole challenge. And we've got this whole other layer of fear of, of I just can't even describe the words that must be going on for women. But it, underneath all that, the, all the other issues still exist. They might be maybe a little bit pushed to the side just now in the focus, but they're all still there. That really being torn in two and ultimately having to protect oneself. And all of these things make it very difficult for midwives, as Diane's talked, to do that balance, to keep that fulcrum going. Um, it's very difficult to do this in this context. So yeah, lots of stresses for women um, anyway, pregnancy and childbirth and becoming a mother. There's lots going on anywhere, any, for any woman. And there's, you know, there's all the physiological changes. There's all the psychological changes and the social changes that all that involves. And now, as Jenny said, we've got this situation with COVID. And we say, we, we you know, we, we just say COVID, don't we, for sure. But there's a heck of a lot to this. Um, yes, we've got this pandemic, we've got this, all the measures in place, but that has a knock-on effect um, for all of us, for every single person, for every single midwife working. Um, it has had um, consequences. And for obviously for the women too. Um, so fear is, um, you know, it's it's on the rise. And what we're worried about is that, you know, this is going to have a knock-on effect for things like PTSD. And we're not the only ones. There's a lot of people writing about this. So one of the things that um, Diane, I remember speaking about, perhaps um, I'm jumping in here, but uh, it's um, something that the difference between the routine and remarkable. So how do we move from this? So, and I'm, I'm aware our time is short, so we're going to quite move through because this is quite important, the things we're going to tell you now. So I'll let Diane carry on. Yeah, so um, one of the things that, that women noticed that, that compassionate midwives could balance was that um, the routine and the remarkable. It's from a quote from one of the women I interviewed. So Jenny talked about the vigil of care, which is kind of focused on the routine of care, the ticking of the boxes. And then there's care as gift, which 
it's, it's sort of about the remarkableness of birth and the miracle of birth. And some of the women that I interviewed talked of, about midwives as being angels. Well, do you know what? It, it's kind of none of those two things because it's both. Birth is the most normal thing in the world. And for midwives, it can be very routine. We see it every day, but it's also a miracle and it's a very unusual thing for an individual woman. So, you know, balancing those two things is the key. Yeah, so as midwives, we are, of course, human beings. And we always have to remember that, always um, acknowledge that. We are also, of course, professionals. And for many of us, we're also employees. And those things can often be in a bit of a jumble. And what I've learned so far, and I'd like to share with you for reflection, is that probably the best order for those things is human being first, professional second employee third. They're all important, but I would I would say that for everybody's safety, that's the best order. So how do you bring the humanity into routinized care or care where there's a lot of clinical stuff going on, a lot of um, restrictions going on? And women in my study talked a lot about tea. I, I never dreamt I was going to hear so much about tea. Um, and it was obviously a symbol for something else. It was a symbol for that, that humanity, that connection. Now we've got um, restrictions with COVID. We've got the need to wear PPE um, and do things in different ways. Uh, we need to be able to show that human connection in other ways. And, you know, the eyes are really important. Um, uh, uh, what we wear is really important. Um, you see, can you see the, the midwife there called Bernadette? I don't know if you can see it in the picture, bottom right. Um, she is looking, I don't know, I think she's looking very compassionate, very interested, um, sort of smiley eyes. Um, they've got their names on their hats, even though you can only see their eyes, they're showing their humanity. So as I said, the eyes definitely um, have a lot to, to show. We all know they do. Anyone that's got a dog knows how um, expressive the eyes can be if we choose to use them. And a lot of things are being done differently. Um, a lot of appointments now, perhaps going to phone, um, phone appointments um, when we can. And how do you show that humanity on the telephone when you've only got your voice, you haven't got the body language, you haven't got the visual cues. So thinking about what you say, how you say it, tone of voice, these are all becoming very, very important tools now. So in terms of, you know, what, what we do for each other as midwives, well, I think the first thing we have to do is really listen to each other. Listen, talk, share, make that time to do this because we have to be there for each other in everything we're doing. Create a safe space. That's for yourself, but look out for one another. Does someone need a cup of tea? Do they need a rest? Do they need to go to the toilet? What can you do? What can you keep your eyes open for and help somebody else? And hopefully then at the points where you're at that point where you need something, somebody can notice that for you. And if we really do that for each other, create that safe space for each other, this can, it's the small things can totally transform the experience. And if we transform it for one another, 
we've put ourselves in a place where we're more able to cope. Have some self-compassion. Look after yourself. Take the breaks you need. Acknowledge when you need something and don't be afraid to ask for it. Surround yourself by pe with people who you can trust, who you can turn to, who you'll know are there for, your, for each other. We've all got that. Hopefully most of us have that, but really seek that out when you need to. Listen to your body. And ultimately, start leading or following. One of the key things that hasn't gone away, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the workplace, so I'm assuming it's still there, is bullying and undermining. It's a very big thing that we haven't had time to go into today that really harms midwives. Start looking, don't tolerate stuff. If you see something that's not right, if you see somebody not being supported, lead the way by making a change there. And if you're not a leader, not all of us can take that step, then follow, follow the people that are trying to do that, support them, build a stronger voice together, because then we can make these changes. Because at the end of the day, you matter. We can't do this without each of us for each other. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I want to applaud. <laughs> this year, the Northern Maternity and Midwifery Festival will be held entirely online. With 600,000 babies born each year, midwives aren't about to let COVID-19 stop them in their tracks. We might not be able to come together in Manchester to celebrate and share knowledge, to network and recharge our batteries, but we've got the next best thing. A day of leadership, education and clinical updates to keep you abreast of the latest developments and innovations, all at the click of a mouse. We look forward to welcoming you to the Northern Maternity and Midwifery Online Festival on Tuesday the 23rd of June 2020. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And that's it's such a, a huge, I know that both studies were big studies and very complex. And you've, it's amazing how the two came so, so close together. And that model with the, the, um, with the axis is fantastic. That's sticking in my brain and we'll do so for a while, I think. Now, I'm very aware that with time is marching along as it often does today on a, on a Wednesday. And I'm glad that you are still here for some questions because we have some coming through. And I have them, they come through to me from the um, Facebook Live. So, uh, da, 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 where are they? We just have to find them now. Okay. So we've got uh, first question Stacey George Hemes, but surely not using the word suffering and putting midwifery in positive light will help with the way pain is perceived? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that. Okay, Dan? Yeah. Um, sorry, what, what, was, what was the name? Uh, Stacy, Stacy, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that question, Stacy. I'm so pleased you asked that um, or made that point because I think a lot of people do think that. And I, there was a time when I, I would have thought that. And of course, we want to put things in a positive light. Um, and I think it's interesting that you use the word pain because pain isn't necessarily suffering, and suffering isn't necessarily pain. You can have pain without suffering. You can have suffering without pain. They are different things. And I think if you think about it, we have seen women 
with pain, but not suffering. And we've seen women who haven't actually got any physical pain who are really suffering. So suffering is that human thing. Yes, childbirth may or may not be perceived as painful. And um, yeah, I, I, I want to women to think about, um, you know, contractions, surges um, in a positive way. I'm absolutely with you about making that birthing seem positive. But to deny that they can be suffering would be to deny their humanity. So the women in my study had got lots of things going on. One had a relationship breakup. One had had a family death while she was pregnant. Um, they had, one had had a previous stillbirth um, and it was throwing up all those memories. There was lots going on, suffered from anxiety, depression, all sorts of things. So to deny that sort of suffering would to deny their humanity. Does that make sense? It does, and I think that's interesting because it makes it wider than the pregnancy and childbirth. It, you know, the woman has another life. Totally. Women are not having babies in a vacuum. They're yeah. having it in the context, context of the whole of their life. Well, I think that's beautifully put. Actually, Stacey had another query. Surely with your research, this is something that goes towards midwives being continuous carers to their women from beginning of pregnancy to end of visit postnatally. What do you think? Well, I think I, I'd like to add to that a little bit. And I think continuity of care really does give, create the potential for building relationship. And we've seen that relationship is, is key here. It's not the only way. There are, as Diane said, there are midwives who can walk into a room, create rapport and build a relationship with somebody in a very short space of time um, and sometimes we can all do that with some people and not with others. So, you know, that's, that's part of our humanity as well. It's not always possible. Obviously, continuity creates the opportunity to really start to build that, to get to know, to understand the person, to understand their fears and their needs. And then when you're in the more complex situations during labour and birth, you're able to understand what the signals from that woman are, what she, she might be feeling at this time, because you know her. And that knowing somebody. So yes, it, it does go. And it's one of the key things that has fueled the whole argument behind continuity of care and behind all the research that supports continuity of care. That's beautifully put. Thank you, Jenny. I'm just going to, oh, vanished again. Right, and now, now I have, I'm not sure, I think this is a comment more than a question from Denise Shipman-Miller saying sanctuary trauma is perfect term as a midwife who has to take early retirement due to PTSD, this totally describes what happened, which is, you know, I was, I was going to ask a question about whether you were able to pick up any midwives who had post-traumatic stress disorder as well, Jenny. I well, it, not, not in my particular PhD research, but I have done some other reading and writing around that. And yeah. actually what we now know is there's, I mean, it could be as many as 30% of midwives might develop a level of PTSD at some point in their career because they are having repeated exposure to situations and often to traumatic experiences. And one of the key senses of trauma for them would be witnessing something happen to the woman or being in a, in a situation themselves where they, can't, where they can't provide the care that they want to and they see things going wrong and then they struggle with that. Um, 
there was something I was going to say to that comment about sanctuary trauma. Yes, when yeah. I first when I first read that comment, I thought, oh, great, this is this is what's happening to the women. Um, but very quickly, I thought, no, this is also happening to the midwives. This is this is what's happening to the midwives who go in and are dealing with situations and maybe come out of a complex situation. And who did it? There's nobody to speak to because there's nobody available to support them, or they get written off. Oh no, it's fine, you know, and you're not really heard. Mm. I mean, I like the bit at the end that you were talking about, sort of looking after yourselves and, and kind of thinking beyond to look after yourself. I think that that's really important. Because one of the, 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 the other questions was about compassion fatigue, because especially at the t this time, especially with, I think, with the COVID situation, there, there's, it's all around sort of the, the terrible things are happening we're feeling sympathy and, and sad for people but does that impact on what you can do as a midwife I, I mean I think what we have there is we've got a, a, a very big exposure to trauma and fear at many levels for people and we don't know what the fallout of that's going to be there is going to be a fallout ultimately as we come through this um, and I've completely forgotten what I was going to say <laughs> could I come in then while you have <laughs> Self-compassion provides some protection against compassion fatigue. Because, and, and really, true compassion must include self-compassion because it's about humanity and about recognising that that's for everybody. So it's not just a one-way system. So compassion flows in different directions, from self to others, from others to self, and from self to self. And unless it flows in all those three ways, it's not, if you like, it's not, well, it's not a well-rounded compassion. And if, you, if it's always flowing one way, you will get compassion fatigue. But if it's well-rounded and there is self-compassion as well, and that acknowledgement that you're only human too, um, then I think that will provide some protection. And I think it needs to be um, accepted. One of the midwives in my study, she spoke about having a very frantic day and one of the women she was looking after all, you know, noticed this and said to the midwife, why don't you sit down, dear? Where's your kitchen? I'm going to make you a cup of tea. Oh, bless. And the midwife was horrified that, you know, she left this woman feeling she needed care. But I think there's something about accepting, you know, when people notice that, when we can do that for each other, and that reciprocity is really key. And the thing that I was going to say is, um, you know, when you're in an airplane, you've got to fit your own mask first. It's the same here. We have to take care of ourselves. And it sounds selfish, but if we take care of ourselves, then we are capable of being in the place, taking care of the others around us, whether that's the women or our colleagues. And more able then to notice from our own strength, we can notice um, how somebody else is. And the harmful behaviors, the bullying, the undermining, these things that happen, they don't come from maliciousness. They come mm -hmm from an inability to meet your own needs. So when somebody's unable to meet their own human needs, that is when the harmful behavior arises. That's one of the, the theories behind that. So we have to take care of ourselves and of each other. Now, now I've got a visual picture of a little mark <laughs> coming down, which is fantastic. Now we have a, a couple more questions. Joanne from Ireland says, do you suggest any changes to the way we deliver antenatal education and prepare women for birth? So I'm just thinking in particular there about the antenatal education and quite a few women talk to me about 
antenate the antenatal period and what they were told and informed of. Um, and, and, I, and, and really it's about that empowering and, and it's about that um, giving all the proper information. They want that, they really, really want that, but they don't want preaching. So that, and they don't want it as if it's, um, you know, a, a, a well-rehearsed script. And I, I know, I've, I've been a community midwife, I know how hard it is to m ensure that it doesn't sound like a well-rehearsed script. So all these things are exciting for an educationist because you could teach some of these things. So what women said was that they wanted to feel empowered by the information um, and the uh, the teaching and the coaching that the midwives could give in that antenatal period but they wanted it in the style of a friend and that's that carer's gift that generosity and the word love like suffering we don't want to use the word love but there is a form of love you know yeah. love comes in many different shapes and forms and this is a form of love when we engage not only never mind the amount of oxytocin that flows around when we're engaging with women you know <laughs> it is very much part so you know these things go are there absolutely that was absolutely so well i've got one final um from susan Vining, is saying hi susan from pam and ted oh how i've enjoyed tonight's session work on suffering beautifully explained i totally agree we see this as negative but it's important to understand women deal with a myriad of stuff when they're pregnant. This session totally applies to antenatal and postnatal care as well, not just delivery. Thank you. So that wasn't a question. Thank you, Susan. That was just a comment, really. That was fantastic. Okay. And how about, there was one thing I, I was, um, I guess, what, 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 what would your next path in research be with this? And will you work together? <laughs> I think I think we, we have little plans for working together. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is trying to get funding for stuff as ever. Um, but it probably for me it would be around a, you know some aspect of education and looking at how do we how do we teach some of these skills that Diane is in a post already doing this, which is amazing, and I'm slightly jealous, but I might get there one day. Um, but the you know how do we teach emotional and um, emotional intelligence as well as you know the, the IQ because that emotional intelligence helps us to discover who we are and what we need and how we can be with others and that can be taught it can be there and I, I feel quite strongly that I want to go somewhere in that field but I'm not sure how yet. Fabulous. How about Diane? Well for me there's lots of unanswered questions this was just a start really. Um, I am very aware that um, there may be cultural aspects of compassion so a lot of women told me about tea but maybe in different parts of the world it would be something different um, and I would be fascinated to know if there were differences to what women thought compassionate midwifery was in different parts of the world and whether there were some things that were just the, always considered compassionate whatever country and um, they would be like that would be like an international language of compassion if you like. Mm. Like <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Do you know, this, this hour has gone so quickly and I could carry on listening to you two for hours and hours, but we're restricted in time and time has marched along. So, and I want to say a big thank you 
to both of our wonderful speakers who were truly inspirational. And I can see the work really coming out in, in practice, which is fantastic. And just to say to our participants, thank you very much for the questions that you sent through. Um, we will be answering some on, of the questions on social media later or to, or to the comments. There's usually a few, because I think sometimes with this sort of topic, there is a need to kind of reflect and think about what you've heard. And some of it is quite um, comfortable. Some of it is not quite as comfortable to think about. So um, you might have comments or questions you want to add. Also, there are resources that will be available on the Facebook page. Um, and it's a compilation of all of the hours. And the Compassion will be at the top. And also, Paul Gilbert's book is at the top too. To the oh. diet, so it's there anyway. Um, and you'll be able to, people who haven't been able to access it, access this session, will be able to access it after Friday when it'll be available on Facebook by then. And next week, we're, we're just going to confirm the speakers. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. In future hours, we're going to be looking at baby loss and supporting parents and families. We're going to be looking at changing times, which is what it's all about, ensuring women's choices. And we're having a student midwives hour in a couple of weeks as well. And look out for the online festival program for 23rd of June, which uh, is available. And if you access the day, you'll get your full box set on, on demand. Uh, to, to kind of binge on, that's what the phrase. Um, and in the meantime, please do stay safe and well and look after yourselves and your loved ones and give everyone an extra hug. Except if you have to be the social yeah, distance, then it's a virtual hug. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.